Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? It's been a funny old year for us with bits of conventions, we've played some games, we might have even written a few games in the background. And <laughs> it's not just me, I'm here again with my good friend Baz. How are you doing, Baz? I'm alright, thank you, mate. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, brilliant. We've had lots of guests on recently, so it's good just to get me and they in and have a good old chat about what we've been doing this year, the state of the gaming industry, and what we think might happen in the new year as well. So um, my first one, probably... I think, as, as we're all grognard sometimes referred to, and we're yeah. like our old games, like Earth Dawn, God's Own Game, there's also been the revival of uh, Chaosium, which, you know, Cthulhu for a while has been hanging around in the background, but it seems to have um, been revitalized with a new leadership. We had an interview, one or two of them. Uh, and the number of products that are coming out uh, seems to be coming thick and fast now. So that, that seems like a real turnaround for a, a good old company that's been sort of ticking along for a little while in the background uh, and now got a new strength and actually some. Uh, verve behind it again, would you say? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's weird because I didn't really notice they'd gone. Because um, as a as a non Chaosium fan, particularly, I'm not saying I'm not a fan. I'm just saying I'm not one of their. They're not the games I normally play, so I wouldn't notice, I suppose. Um, which kind of leads me to believe that, like, you know, how does anybody find out anything about role playing these days without you know a central magazine like we used to have White Dwarf in Britain back in the day. Mm. Um, or a central hub, really, of places to go and look for stuff. Because I think you know the, the atomization of the hobby means if you're into D and D, you go to a D and D website. If you're into Slay Industries, well, I don't know where you go for that. But anyway, the point is, if you're not massively into Chaosium, would you know that, what Chaosium was doing? I, I saw some stuff on RPG Net about loads of changes of hands and and people like Greg Stafford coming back. And again, I didn't know he was gone. So you're kind of asking the wrong bloke, mate. Because I just thought it was still there, based entirely on the fact that people still bang on about Cthulhu every five minutes. So I kind of didn't, yeah, I guess. didn't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I think from my point of view, then, it's something that I tweeted about the other day, actually. I, I just sort of like got together some books. And I was like, okay, what, what can I start reading? Now I've got a bit of time with Christmas coming up. Uh, and I've got like four titles for Cthulhu, that um, all in hardback, all colour and everything. Um, so Doors to Darkness, which is like Intro Adventures, Pulp Cthulhu I've got now. Uh, got the Two-Headed Serpent, which is the Pulp of uh, Cthulhu sort of adventure set or, or whatever. Uh, and Down Darker Trails, we've got a Dragon Meat. So like, I've got four like uh, good hardback books there for Cthulhu, which I don't know. Like I, can't, I don't know if I could say that that thing happened in previous years. It seems to be a lot of monographs. Uh, and there was certainly the kind of like reissues of some things. But that seems like a, a good set of stuff coming out. Plus, they've got mm. like some of Sandy Peaks and Adventures and some other stuff. So, um, you're sort of right in a way. Like, there's not a great generic source for gaming as such at the minute. But if you follow yogsouth.com or anything like that, or you're into the, this kind of game, there's a lot of product come out. And I think that's what's made it different than, say, five years ago, five years or so, 10 years ago. There seemed to be, you know, some stuff coming out. And a lot of the, uh, not fan written, but you know, like freelance monographs, which were a bit kind of like photocopy pages stapled together almost in some cases. Mm. Uh, and now we're in proper, like maybe not like Paizo or Watsy standards, but there's a lot of product coming out. So, like, oh, almost every month it seems there's something new coming out. And there's other things in the background as well, like the kind of Khan's card game they've got. They're mm. looking at relaunching Request, they have the, the um, free RPG day thing out for that in terms of a quick start. There's quick starts for Cthulhu now. So it now feels like it's a proper games company, as before it felt like one of those companies that's always around in the background. Do you know what I mean? I think that's totally fair, mate. It's, it's interesting. You just mentioned, what, three, four books that you've got for Cthulhu on your on your gas-shaped nightstand that you're going to read over Christmas. That is actually more books than Wizards of the Coast have released for D&D in the last year. And wow. that's with... So, you know, you compared it to Watsi or Paizo or the rest of them. Do you know what, mate? Actually, if you go right up the other end of the hobby to the to the big old gorilla in a room, Watsi have made the decision to not actually physically release that many books themselves. They do a bunch of stuff through third party. They've got the DMs Guild and they're reissuing an awful lot of stuff on PDF. And it has kind of put the D&Ders noses slightly out of joint because I think there's a there's a fairly big sector of the hobby that has to see stuff coming out regularly in print preferably in shops to believe that a game is capable of being played so if chaosium are getting to that stage or have gotten to that stage and they're regularly putting out product that's going to be good for them because 
because I know that people want to see books and they actually they do want to give money to companies as well. So Strange. if that's what it takes for people to play a game that they, they probably have in four or five or six different editions already sitting on the shelf and all the adventures they'll ever want, if you need to be getting books out to have players, then Chaos Room have done the right thing. So that's good. Yeah, definitely. I think there's more to come from them as well. Um, certainly like the RuneQuest line they seem to want to push and, and there's other things in the pipeline and they've just taken on Lynn Hardy uh, as another editor working with Mike Mason and stuff so they're definitely going in the right direction which is good to see because mm. a bunch of guys stuck some of their own cash in there to sort of revitalise that company and do something with it and, and it's people who are passionate about the hobby and want to be like part of a game company but mm. doing it right as well um, so, so that's good I think it's good to see that, that people are, are interested in albeit old school games to a degree but they're taking that forward and pushing it to a, a new audience or are they I guess that's the next thing to sort of like mention is there seems to be a lot of old games that are coming back so we've had the announcement about Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay mm-hmm. and in fact there's going to be a version of that and Age of Sigma in case you need two different varieties of your Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and then in addition to that someone else has produced uh, as Vihander which is a five six hundred page book which is essentially one of those kind of games in, in a similar sort of style so like they seem to be doing really well though so is it is it just old people reconnecting with their gaming past you know is i think we had uh, uh dirt the dice on the other week and he was saying he's found a, like a great well of people who used to play when they were younger and just sort of mm-hmm. like now coming back to it but who are all these games for i mean i can't imagine someone who's from I don't know, the, the Neverwinter Nights, Morrowind kind of generation suddenly coming to Wolfrup and going, oh, good, Wolfrup 4th edition's out. Mm. Is it old people or, or is it just, you know, some people who are into Games Workshop and used to play the, the Toy Soldiers a short while ago now see a role-playing game to do with it and find it interesting? Well, I, I don't know, because it, it's more about marketing than anything else, isn't it? I mean, I'm slightly worried about it. I, I won't lie. I, you look at kickstarters you look at what's considered to be new releases the stuff to get excited about it does remind me of hollywood when they went through arguably are still going through that phase of releasing sequels um, because Mm. they just want to milk that cash cow um, until there's nothing left in it and it does make me a little bit nervous to see that some of the biggest kickstarters being things like feng shui 2 which is a fine game don't get me wrong and all of these games are fine games Um, Mm. another edition of warhammer fantasy roleplay just after zweihander's hit and as you say, doing a couple of different editions of that. Uh, Cthulhu's hit its seventh edition now. People are getting excited about things like a, a new edition of Over the Edge, for goodness sake. Um, one of my all-time favourite games, and, and I'm not saying it doesn't need an update. I think it probably does. Uh, but people are going to drop money on that like there's no tomorrow. Unknown Armies was maybe one of the biggest, most anticipated releases of last year. But, yeah. and we've said this before on the podcast, once the Kickstarter is finished... And once maybe even the books are out, which could take some time, is anybody playing these things or are they just dropping their disposable income into it to have it on the shelf in a slipcase? And then what? You know, even Apocalypse World, which is an amazing game, its second edition dropped. And I don't see people talking about that so much either. And and that, that generated an entire line of games but this constant iterating on previous editions of stuff and, and bringing back old favourites and people getting excited on, on G Plus about Shadows Over Bogenhof and being available in PDF. I'm glad it is. It's a great adventure. But to your point, Gaz, if you are at university signing up for a role-playing games company, co- company a role-playing games club at a Freshers <laughs> Fair because you quite like video games and board games and all that geek stuff, is it for you? Where do people get into this hobby these days? Or have you got to be knee-deep in a whole bunch of editions, nostalgia and grey-haired wallets before it makes any sense to you? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And I can see that, um, I don't know, there seems to be a real mix of kind of nostalgia for the old and wanting something new. Um, so uh, I've just seen a layout with some of the layout for 13th Edge in Glorantha, which has been mm-hmm. like on hold for a little while. But apparently, like, uh, Rob Heinzo and... And I was really excited about it. And that's been like something a burning passion of theirs. Like, you think, really? Is it? Mm. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not denying, uh, you know, doubting them or anything, but it just seems like an odd thing to be super excited about and to put to 13th age and, you know, and take, you know, a significant amount of time to come out as well. Talking of the Wolf Rup stuff, I think they've announced they're pushing back the release of that because 
they were going to make it kind of first edition a bit second edition but having mm-hmm. looked at the rules and decided the 30 years old they perhaps didn't update so as we knew that and that, <laughs> that kind of mixed reaction though there were some people who were like well i just want to play first edition and you kind of think we'll play that then because that's already out <laughs> off you go it's nearly as old as me. You yeah. can still play that. That's fine. So, like, why do you want a new edition but want it to be the same as the old one? That doesn't make any sense. And then you're fearful of what the new thing might bring. So, I don't know. There seems this real weird dichotomy where people want a new version of something but don't want it to have changed. And I don't yeah, quite, exactly. I can't quite get my head around it. If you know what I mean? Because there's, um, as well as Apocalypse World, there's a Monster Hearts two come out as well, and that's had a mixed reaction yeah. as well in terms yeah, of some yeah, people yeah. saying. There's some new stuff, and I really like it. There's some other new stuff, I really hate it. Why did they change that? Why have they changed this? Uh, and it's that real, I don't know, like people wanted another one and, and said it needed it, but then seemed to disagree about what it is they've got now. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, yeah, it's it's weird. It's a weird psychological thing, isn't it? It's, um, you know, imagine if you, if you are a Warhammer fan, um, and for the past few years, you could have got a hold of a great game called Shadow of the Demon Lord, written by Rob mm. Schwab, fantastic author, massively just loads of stuff out for Shadow of the Demon Lord at this point really high production values dead easy to get into it's a cracking game but it is essentially his version of Warhammer or D&D with that grim dark veneer on it lovely 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 game and I don't know how many units he shifts of that it's enough to keep him going so he must be doing okay in the world of fantasy role playing games but when Warhammer drops I, I can't imagine many people hopping onto Shadow of the Demon Lord or Zweihander or any of those other things because it's got the right title on it. And D&D has been doing that to the entire hobby since the day it was born. If a new edition comes out and it's got Dungeons & Dragons on it, by default, it is what fantasy role-playing games are. And that's why people don't play Earththorn anymore and that's why people probably don't play Shadow of the Demon Lord as much as they, they could do because that stamp of approval is really a big deal for people. Having the official logo on there, being published by the company that had it the first time around, which is why RuneQuest by Chaosium is going to do better than Mithras was by the guys who are making that. It just <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's just the way that the, the markets work and it's the way that we all work to an extent because we're very happy to sort of get cheap knockoffs and pay what you want PDFs. But at the end of the day, if you're going to have a hardback book on your shelf, you kind of want it to be by the old gang the legit copy because you just do and that's that's going to affect anybody who's trying to innovate because bringing something new to market obviously that can be done you look at stuff like what monty cook did with numenera that was a big new innovation and he's absolutely done brilliantly with it and a bunch of new stuff too you look at some stuff like um that's come out of say star trek adventures and the star wars i know they're licenses and we should probably talk about licenses i think it's on the agenda isn't it but but at least they're big new splashes but it's hard to move around the hobby when what you're really seeing is people apparently have an appetite for the old stuff brought up to date with not much modern because too much modern makes it not the old stuff and they don't like that anymore. (laughs) it's a really difficult balance it seems to me doesn't it yeah. Well, you mentioned Numenera then. I said Numenera 2 is coming out. Oh, of course it is, yeah. That seems to have some base building in it and something else, but not a lot radically different. But people are going crazy for it again. And it's mm-hmm. that thing again where it's something, it's the old thing that you used to have that you love and a little bit of change, but not too much because then you get upset. So it's still the old thing, just with a little bit more. Cool. It's interesting talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was interesting talking to the OSR guys in Dragon Meet the other week as well because um, for Into the Yard for Chris McDougall, and uh, you know, for <laughs> David Blake's Black Hang, you <laughs> love me for that. Um, but they're bringing out second editions of their games. Uh, and, you know, even David Black was, you know, when he was talking about his games, it was just pretty much a throwaway thing. This is how I like to play D and D sort of thing. Someone else mm. published it for him, so that's how it got published. Um, but even he's thinking of a second edition, you know. And, and it seems like everybody wants to revisit what they've done and, and just do a little bit better, polish a bit more, add a little bit more. I don't know. But it seems a lot more, like you say, that movie thing of a lot more of what we've had before and just polish it up or make it better, bigger, brighter, change it, do stuff with it, rather than it being a completely new innovation doing something completely different. Mm. I mean, I think, you know, even even a, even a sequel uh, would be an innovation of a type. Uh, generally speaking, sequels aren't as good as the first one round, but at least there's something different. But it's the reboots which again Hollywood did with Star Trek and what have you. It's the reboots that make me slightly nervous. They're like the new additions, aren't they? And in our world, in our hobby, there's an awful lot of reboots going on. And people are really looking forward to those reboots. 
Um, just before we came on air, you were sort of like going through a quick list with me, guys, of some of the stuff that's coming out next year. Um, you know, where's the new stuff? Is there anything on there? You'll have to remind me if there is, because a, a lot of the big names on there, maybe they're only big names because they were big names in the past. Perhaps we don't know what the big thing next year is going to be because we've never heard of it. But there's not much on the horizon that's making me think, ooh, new, shiny. No, and I'm wondering if we finally hit, after all these years, that kind of saturation point of systems and stuff. Uh, and all there is to do really is just reskin things have already got to a degree. Mm. So, for example, FFG have got their um, their new system, Genesis, is it they're calling it? It's yeah. like a generic funny, funny dice system. Yeah, all their other role-playing games, they've got new different sets of dice with different symbols on. And even the Legend of the Five Rings role-playing game that they're going to bring out because they've got that license down, that has a different system than their generic system that they're bringing out. So, like, mm. on the other side of the coin, I guess you've got people like FFG who are trying to come up with new stuff. Uh, and a bit too much of it for my taste almost. It feels like I don't want to have to learn several different games all from the same stable. And yet, I sort of, with the same breath, I feel a little bit like if everything's 2D20 coming from Odyphius, do I just want 2D20 all the time? Will that fit all the games? Although I know they mm. tweet them based on the setting. Mm. So I don't know. I think that, like also next year, we've got stuff like Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition coming out. And that's in pre-alpha which is, if you look around on the internet, you can basically download what they're thinking of at the minute. But they're not thinking mm. of releasing it until the end of next year, so about this time next year. So we're going to have a year of people picking it apart, saying what they liked about the old one, why can't we have that back, not liking stuff that's new, and presumably hundreds of people tearing it apart and trying to put it back together again. There's, there's some poor guys sat in the middle who are trying to come up with like a new good game that's going to satisfy old people who used to play it and yet seem appealing to new people as well. Yeah, the uh, the whole White Wolf thing, because we're old enough to remember it because it started in the 90s, which was the best decade in gaming. Um, <laughs> but uh, our mates over at the good friends of Jackson Elias, who play closer attention to horror gaming than I do, uh, they did an episode ooh, a couple of months ago now. I'll give a shout out to the guys. It was a really interesting episode. It was on Mage, um, which I thought was an interesting pick for a, for a podcast that's really into horror, because that's maybe one of the least horrific games. But, but anyway, it's a game I was really into. And, um, and Matt Sanderson... Um, the academic that he is uh, tried to explain what state Mage was in, given revisions, extra editions, some classic reruns, some people doing a different path with the background but using the same mechanics, and then there's a new one. And honestly, the poor man, he was 10 minutes into it, and, and I, I couldn't keep up. I actually have no idea where, where White Wolf went, if it's still a thing, what quite onyx path is and i pride myself on keeping my ears to the ground with this kind of stuff but that's all left me behind quite a lot but even i noticed that ken height was going to be lead designer on the new vampire and that made me go "Ooh, oh now ken height doesn't write bad things he only writes good things and <laughs> but imagine getting hold of that franchise because franchise it is and trying to just sort out the history and shake it into something new as well because that game's got baggage and mm. but 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 my baggage is someone else's glorious, deep and storied past that they can fully immerse themselves in, like Eclorantha's and the rest of it. So I don't know what he's going to do with that, but that's going to be a really, really hard ride. But at best, what it will do is it will put back on gaming shelves a game that kind of already exists, I think. Yeah. Now, that might be doing it down massively, but that's, that's not a new thing these days to be playing a vampire, right? No. Um, yeah, it will be interesting because they did they sort of rebooted the franchise, didn't they? We had Gehenna, the big book that was supposed to explain everything at the end of the world, and it mm. was kind of like a big list of stuff that could have happened, and said you make it up yourself. Which was <laughs> like, for people who've been buying splat books every month for five years, was probably a little bit disappointing. Uh, but the reboot was kind of like more of the same. They just sort of like changed it a little bit. Uh, but it was mm. essentially the same game, and that was quite disappointing because they'd, they'd done a good marketing job of saying you won't believe what comes next and doing like little tidbits and spoilers and cryptic images and all this kind of stuff and posters. And then it was just the same sort of like dots and disciplines, basically the same clans. You've still mm. sort of got the same. You've got to start with human science and, and stuff. So it will be good if it is something different. But then if it is something different, well, the old vampire people go, this is a vampire. What, what happened to the mm. Camarilla? Why aren't we, you know, why can't I have dots in vicissitude anymore why aren't the dots why has it got numbers on my character sheet all of a sudden I don't know uh, and are there enough new people who will buy something that's got 5th edition in on it as a first game 
I, I don't mm. know if if I was looking at, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something else. Like D and D, would I buy D and D? Yeah, because there's, they're all different games. But for a lot of games, it seems um, like going at fifth edition. I don't know. That must be off putting for new people, right? You yeah. you think like there's there's too much there already, or you you're too far behind the curve to pick it up and start going with it, maybe. But then some people have picked up Shadow on fifth edition and run with that, so maybe not. It's um. I don't know if it is off-putting because it, it's impossible for me to say because I know what's behind that number. But mm. I would say that if you look at video games, um, you can see TV adverts over Christmas for video games, which might be the fourth or fifth in a series. I'm no video gamer, um, but I know that Fallout 4 was a great big thing and had little or nothing to do with Fallouts 1, 2 and 3 and was a perfect jumping on point. Now, as an outsider to it, I find that utterly strange that you would start with number four in anything because I'm a completist, right? And that's <laughs> that's kind of mental. I know Star Wars started and ended with episode four, but that's a, that was a one-off, <laughs> I thought. So your video game franchises don't mind saying, um, say, here's, here's Mercenaries 8, and that being no. the only game that ever existed. So they must be trading on the name to an extent, and I guess, you know, the bigger the number, the better the game. But... Um, but fifth edition, well, I mean, for a long time, this is actually going back a couple of years now, but for a long time, there was a huge debate on whether D&D would be called fifth edition or not. And they made the decision in the end to actually call it 5e. And I think there was a press conference about it at the end, because for a long time, it was just going to be called D&D Next. Um, it was going to be called, uh, embrace yourself for this, innovation fans. It was going to be called D&D. And, and then eventually they went with... More than anything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then they went with D&D 5th edition. And, and that's arguable as to whether it is even is the 5th edition, because some people would argue there's been nine, etc. And, and that's, well, there you go. Um, but, you know, the D&D brand, I think, is probably big enough to, to do its own thing. And it has certainly been, for me, looking back over the last year, we've been talking about whether there's any innovation or not. There has been an innovation for me, strangely, in the way that D&D has been played or enjoyed by people. So to see that massive game from the past, which really was a little bit in the wilderness for a time, not for its first time in its history, but but 5e came back and I think did better than everybody expected, is still on the Amazon top sellers charts, was number one for a while. And that, you know, it's up against things like, you know, John Grisham books. And and that's that's madness <laughs> to see them doing that. And And then you've got that massive explosion of people watching on their laptops other people play D&D quite slowly. Now, I find that, that that's bonkers, but that's massive. And, I mean, you know, I wish, you know, both our listeners were as enthusiastic as the literally millions of people who will nowadays even go to the cinema to see a live stream of people playing D&D statically. Um, they put on costumes occasionally now because they've got to do something because I think even they realised that, that pot plant in the back wasn't providing much action. But people love this stuff. And I kind of love it too, but I think, who knew, mate? We've been talking for years that nobody would ever watch role-playing games happen on the telly. Yes, they will. It just had to be on a laptop, incredibly. There's a market for it. And it's brought so many people into the hobby. And thankfully as well, young, diverse, from all over the globe, from all kinds of creeds and colours, an amazing diversity of gamers who are now flooding into 5th edition because I don't know why. Everyone knows it's not the best game. That's that's you know that's beyond debate at this point. And and everyone actually it's maybe not even the most accessible, but it is there and it's active. And I think that's that's incredible. So, are any of those guys going to look to go to Vampire Fifth Edition or Warhammer Fourth Edition or Cthulhu Seventh Edition or Traveller, whatever number it is by now, like they used to back in the day? I don't know. Where do, where does the person who's got bored with D&D go next year because I think there'll be hundreds of thousands of them looking around for something different what will they go to yeah I think there was a bit more breath people are starting to get there it wasn't so long ago when we talked to people and if they played or had played D&D Quest, Travel and Cthulhu they said they would say I played all the games and I mean those <laughs> four and that would be it and in their mind they played all the role playing games in the world mm. and that was only a year or two ago that, we're not talking that long ago and maybe there's still are people who believe that because they just don't get involved on the internet or something. Um, but there was a guy asking a question on one of the UK forums um, this week, 
about, you know, my players don't seem engaged, what should I do? And from the way he'd written his question, I assumed he was just a D&D player or one of mm-hmm. those types who played a limited number of games. So my suggestion back was to maybe try something different, like a fiasco or whatever, just to get a whole new experience which players might do more of the role-playing side of things because there wasn't that much mechanical stuff to engage with. Um, but when he replied, he was like, yeah, we'll try Blade in the Dark and this, that, and the other. And it's like, oh, right, good. So, like, even people who, um, I mean, that's my, my perception of how I read his post, but people who would normally have just have played a very limited set of games seem to be embracing a wider range of stuff now, at least. Mm. So things like Blades have yeah. got a wide recognition or wider than I would have expected normally than a lot of the homegrown, you know, games of that ilk, for example. So like Night Witches and, you know, all these sort of like Journey to Morningstar games and all that kind of stuff, perhaps seemed a little bit, Indian inverted commas or that small press scene and, and it seems to be drifting a little bit more now into we just play games and that indie trad device seems to be rolling a little bit more now as well yeah yeah I think that that's definitely fair mate I think um, I think you're right in that we've been using the word trendy for quite a while haven't we um, and it mm. might be that we don't even need to use that word anymore because isn't everything trendy to an extent I'm sure there's still things at the very extreme ends of the story games movement and then at the other end, maybe people are still playing the hero system. I don't know. Um, but everything feels kind of trendy. The stuff that's come out of Free League, um, that's, you know, that's that the stuff like your Simba Room or your Mutant Year Zero or your Tales from the Loop, that's got a, a nice hefty dose of narrative control and uh, plenty of feels rather than nuts and bolts and that's a good thing. Blades in the Dark is 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 got two flop top boots firmly straddling the divide between like loads of mechanics and absolutely no mechanics whatsoever. It's <laughs> it's, it's I think it's a really nice mix. So you know, and that that those sort of games they seem to be the new normal um, where where finally that hybridization has really happened, and there's bits being pulled from board games, bits being pulled from miniatures games, and. And and you've still got quite a big old variety, um, but yeah, maybe things are a bit less tribal now. Maybe people are prepared to like try what's out there. And I think also there's like the cipher system came out, so we've had the strange and Numenera and stuff like that, and that's still going strong. But they produced a generic cipher system book, which is a big old telephone directory. Um, mm. So you have to chew through it a little bit. There's a lot of stuff to read there. Um, but we've got this genesis system coming up, and, and there's some other stuff of that ilk. Um, but I think games that I've really enjoyed and have done well are things like Blaze. Uh, Blaze we've mentioned a couple of times. Tales from the Leap, really like, um, and it's stuff that is playing a particular type of game. I think so. If you want to play Stranger Things, you pick up Tales from the Leap, and if you want to be like uh, Lies of Lockamora, then you'll pick up Blades in the Dark and that kind of stuff. Mm. And maybe they're successful because they're trying to do as a lot of Indian small press games have done previously: is pick a thing and do that thing really well, mm-hmm. rather than saying. Here's a generic role-playing game. And the whole, you know, any world you can think of is your possibility. You just use your imagination. I think people seem, or I'm perceiving people want more of, I want to play a really strong idea in a game. I, I want to know what this theme is and what we're playing, what it's about. Give me some of mm-hmm. that. And if you can do that well, that gives you something that people really engage with. Um, whereas, I don't know, something like, for example, Seven Sea was rebooted again, wasn't it? But, that's yeah. had a really lukewarm reception of people. Like Pete, our good friend, um, he loved Seven Seas. It's probably his favourite game. Yeah. Uh, but he got the second edition, and he's just not got any excitement for it at all. It did really well. It, you know, it funded well. It sold loads of stuff. But I've not seen a lot of excitement out there, and people aren't really banging the drum as much as I expected. So is that is it perhaps too a, a generic a game? It's, it's sort of a bit parody. It's sort of a bit uh, musketeers. It's got elements to it. But looking at the cover, you can't really tell. Hmm. Yeah. Well, my experience of Seven C. Yeah. Uh, from from the outside, all the chatter I see about Seven C is about its creator or about its Kickstarters. Is is very rarely yeah. about um, people's stories of campaigns they've started or characters that they've generated or adventures they've gone on. So, I, I think that's quite telling um, when a game is more famous for its publishing model than it is for its game ability. The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. 
It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new smart party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the smart party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! Uh, I was just going to mention their licenses as well. We've done that. So if you could pick up Star Trek Hub Engines, it's because you want to play Star Trek games. And the fact that the, the system at its core is the, the sort of 2D20, which they use for all their sort of games, which has been modified to make it fit, you know, the sort of games you want to play to a degree, um, it is a clear message about what you get, isn't it? You so say, we're going to play Star Trek games. That's why we buy Star Trek Adventures. I don't think many people are buying it purely because of the system. They're buying it because of the license and the, you know, the art and the, the TV shows that they've watched and that kind of stuff. And maybe that's why licensed games seems to have done particularly well this year as well. It's, it's around stuff that people recognise and want to have a game of. And that mm. gives it that extra incentive. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Star Wars is is another classic example. The stuff that Fantasy yes. Flight does for Star Wars is lovely. Um, none of it is cheap. Um, and, you know, there's been plenty of moans about how much it costs, but it doesn't seem to stop people buying it. Um, or from Fantasy Flight from putting out more of it. Now... Ever since, like you know, the late seventies, when Star Wars was a thing and role playing was a thing at the same time, people have been playing Star Wars games in Traveller. People have been playing Star Wars in One Roll Engine. They've been playing it in Savage Worlds. It is not hard to play a game of Star Wars. In fact, arguably, it's one of the easiest things you could ever do because everybody's seen it and everybody knows it. But it takes a game with Star Wars written on it for people to get excited, as indeed <laughs> they got excited about the reprint of the West End Games Star Wars books, which are fine books. I've got one on my shelf. Everyone's got one on their shelf. There was one time, I know this is perhaps an apocryphal story, um, but the single most successful role-playing game store in the world um, was the little kiosk that sat outside the Star Wars ride in Disney World where um, you could buy the Star Wars role-playing game and people picked it up (laughs) as a souvenir following that ride. (laughs) (laughs) because if it's got the right name on the cover that's the winning that's the winning formula (laughs) thankfully to be fair to those guys I think they also make very good games I think the Star Trek game is excellent and I've I've enjoyed loads of sessions of that this year and it's kind of nice to see people talking about Star Trek and and, um, and God knows there's there's so much you can do with Star Trek it's just the start of a conversation isn't it like do you want to go original series do you want to be that bald bloke in the Enterprise Do do you want to do this do you want to do that but at least people are having a conversation about it. So, you know, the licensed game ain't going away anytime soon, is it? No, I've seen, and I've seen quite a few other bits and pieces around as well. Like there's, The Expanse has been quite big as a TV series and originally Ooh, yeah. novels. Yes. Apparently there's a game on, on the way for that. Um, there's a kind of B-movie, Iron Sky, which is Nazis on the Dark Side of the Moon coming back again. Apparently there's going to be a role-playing game for that. So there's all kinds of weird and wonderful stuff. And mm. perhaps a little bit more recognisable is uh, the latest Pinnacle offering was Flash Gordon for Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, they've had a kind of pseudo Flash Gordon game out called Slipstream for like a decade, probably something like that, which mm-hmm. is perfectly good. And it is basically Flash Gordon with the numbers filed off. So why on earth would you need a specific Flash Gordon game? Especially when they call out things like Buster Crab movies from 1930s or most recently the 1980s movie. Mm-hmm. So that's like 30 years ago. But Again, wildly successful, and people recognise and like have some kind of pathos with it. Or something I don't know. They mm. they go for it. it. It seems like an odd thing when Savage Worlds was built to run that kind of game anyway, and you've already got a supplement which does it and has Lion Men in and things like that. Like, why on earth would you need a Flash Gordon thing? But like putting Cathedral and stuff, or many other things, seems mm. to sell the game because it is legitimate Flash Gordon with a proper logo and stuff like that. Yeah, well, absolutely. Uh, but mind you, Pinnacle have got previous on this, haven't they? Because, you know, um, having, I thought, cornered the market in Supernatural Horror and Cowboys, they went and did it a second time with another game. So, <laughs> mental. <laughs> um, That's true. <laughs> but um, interestingly, though, on the license thing with Cthulhu especially, so we opened up this whole show talking about, like, Calcium is back, and to some of us who didn't even know it had been away, because Cthulhu has been rife and continues to be so, and one of the latest pieces of news that I picked up on is that Cubicle 7, um, they have their license for printing Call of Cthulhu stuff is about to expire. So as Chaosium becomes resurgent, one of the major publishers of Cthulhu stuff in recent years is um, is is 
well, either dropping or had it taken away from, you know, pick an adjective of your choice or an adverb of your choice. Uh, but that World War Cthulhu stuff and Cold War Cthulhu, which was definitely generating an awful lot of product over the last year or so, last chance to get it. I think it's literally on sale now. And um, by the new year, mm. we'll be no more. So Cthulhu's enough is still big enough for people to lose licenses to it, let alone acquire licenses to it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's true. I'm still hearing stuff about um, Cold War Cthulhu. It pops into my inbox here and again because I backed it. Yeah. And it's another one of those books that's on my shelf, or several books that are on my shelf that I've not looked at yet. You can add them to the Gary reading list pile for uh, for Christmas, which I'm going to need to book <laughs> another week off at this rate. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny, actually, because I'm also really keen on Delta Green. A good friend, Andrew, uh, cracker around about four four sessions of it I think maybe more mm-hmm. uh, and Ralph and one or two others ran some of it and it's, it's still not out yet we're still waiting for the, the handlers guy isn't it been. yeah it's, we've got the PDF now thank right. you okay. but it's something that got back to, I'm sure at least a year ago and we're still waiting and that's not got Cthulhu on the cover per se although it is about mythos stuff but it has got its own brand and doing quite well and people are dead keen on it and want to run stuff for it and they had um, a competition recently and they've had one similar before called Shotgun Scenarios which were fans basic can send in their scenarios of, of a short form mm. to degree um and i think previously you, you might get like five or six entrants or something like that or you know there's not like a massive groundswell but this time they've had 30 entries uh, okay. and there's you know you have to write several thousand words for it and it'd be in a, a publishable format almost and that kind of thing you know the decent standard so for a game that's not actually out yet apart from backers that can get the pdf it's doing really mm. well, you know, like thirty written adventures. That's just like mm-hmm. outstanding, I think, for, as a as a role playing community to to turn that kind of stuff out because it still seems mm. like getting fan made stuff beyond a GM screen or a, a little sort of con scenario written in scribbled notes and stuff like that. You don't get a lot of people putting the effort into publishing things for games as they used to, maybe, mm. or maybe they never did. Mm. But that that just seems like a, a notable thing that there's still a strong fan base for things that may not even be out at the minute. Well, it, I think it's because it's got a tentacle in it, mate. You know, that that's yeah. <laughs> that's always been there and always will be. Long after we're gone, if it's got an element of Cthulhu in it, it, it cannot possibly die, um, which takes us back to, I didn't even really notice Chaosium weren't there because you only have to look to Delta Green, which is, um, I was surprised when you just said that it wasn't out. I thought it was because it gets as much chatter as a game that is available to buy with money in, in bookshops. Yeah. So, that 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 honestly that surprised me because the other thing that I've been looking at from afar again is stuff like the fall of Delta Green, mm. which is that big old crossover between the gumshoe stuff that that comes out of Pelgrane um, with astonishing regularity. I mean, Pelgrane are, are an absolute machine for generating new material, um, and their stable of games is quite something. And and again, Ken Height, another mention for Ken because his fall of Delta Green is going to be eagerly awaited. And that is the sort of thing that people buy. Uh, forgive me for saying this. I think I'm going to put myself out there and say who have no intention of ever playing it. Those <laughs> kind of books are nice yeah. to have, lovely to read, lovely to talk about. I'm not sure the dice ever have to hit the table for that to be considered a successful work of art or even a great role-playing game, strangely enough. Yeah. Um, so it's is it vanity publishing to a, to a dwindling massive gamers perhaps but it hasn't dwindled enough for them to stop doing that in in all the years that cthulhu has been a thing that you can game with that it's still coming yeah, yeah very true i think the the players handbook might be out for delta green actually now i can't have to check where we're up to actually but um yeah i think the the interesting thing for me was that it's not written on the cover do you know what i mean like uh cold war cthulhu for example has got cthulhu written in it, or world war cthulhu or all the other books make it really obvious whereas i think for delta green the the interesting thing is that it doesn't say it, it's called delta green which could be i don't know code for a piece of thing that you find in ikea on a shelf somewhere you need to go down to delta <laughs> green at the end and then that's where you pick up your billy shelves yeah it's, it's still got this um like cult following which is cool um mm. but you know you, you might be right it might just be the mythos connection as well that keeps it going mm-hmm um, so there's there's other bits and pieces as well. Um, I, I was quite interested by predation I've seen, which is uh, I'm probably getting the name wrong now. Shania Germain is it? I think it's Monty Cook's Mrs. Oh or, yeah, yeah, I'm with you now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a cipher system thing, but it's um, 
it looks a little bit cartoony. But it looked a nice book. I, I didn't pick it up in the end. Uh, I can't remember why not. I think I probably went off to run another game and then forgot. Hmm. Um, but that's kind of your descendants of scientists who went back to the Cretaceous period or whatever it is, uh, and then the wormholes closed or whatever, so you kind of got stuck there. And you now live in this world full of dinosaurs. So it's, it's some conceit about mm-hmm. you know having a, a game where there's dinosaurs and things like that. Um, and that seems quite interesting. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that a, a, um, a game designer's partner has picked up the design piece and decided to make their own game and that sort of thing and got it published. Um, and I'm wondering if there's perhaps a little bit more of um, that sort of stuff. How, well, I'm trying to phrase it now without seeing like a white cis middle-aged man but I probably can't because I am um, so there's a, there's a lot more uh, ladies and, and people of diverse gender however they choose to self-identify who seem to be getting into role-playing games and doing stuff with it um, so uh, we mentioned Monster Hearts I think that originally came from someone of um, a changed gender transgender um, and also I've noticed as well on the, the streaming that you talk about with the D&D games I, I think possibly something that's making that popular when people look on it is there seem to be a better mix of people on it. If you sort of videoed mm-hmm. stuff from you know, 10, 15 years ago, it'd be all blocks like us sat around. Whereas most of the ones I see pop up on Twitter or you see them on other feeds or whatever else like that, it quite often seems a 50-50 mix or you know, some balance of genders and not just a bunch of nerdy blocks all sat around. There seems like a good mix of people involved. And it's good to see people that aren't just blocks creating and, and getting games out there as well. I think it's one, I probably said all that very clumsily, but I think you get what I'm saying is that it's not quite how it used to be where it's just dudes doing it. We seem to be getting mm-hmm. to a spot where it's more public, acceptable, uh, welcoming for people of different backgrounds to, to produce something. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone can blame you for being clumsy with the words, mate, because for our entire adult life, which is a, quite a big number these days, the idea of talking about diverse um, communities and role-playing games it would be like talking about playing golf underwater. It's just like I don't know how to put those two things together because they just they're, they're two things that obviously happen, but they just can't happen in the same space. Everyone knows that, right? Yeah. And nobody ever even had to say it out loud. So <laughs> it's, it is weird, you know. But it's weird in a really bloody good way. Unlike playing golf underwater, which I can't imagine is fantastic. But anyway, <laughs> you know, you look at you look at something like um, Cthulhu Dark. Uh, which has, I think, yeah, it's out of Kickstarter and it's in people's hands in hard copy, I believe. So that's Graham Walmsley's take on the Cthulhu mythos. Uh, Graham, I'm sure won't mind me saying, is a white, middle-aged, middle-class dude, just like you and me, Um, but his contributors, and I know he went out of his way to find these people or to be approachable by these guys, he's got, um, he has male, female, people of colour. He has an incredibly diverse range of contributors that you just haven't seen in role-playing books ever and that's a good thing and not made a fuss about it either um, as the best people don't because you don't have to make a fuss about it you just have to go this is how it is and that just brings new viewpoints into gaming and we spent a lot of this podcast talking about reboots can't be good for the long-term sustainability of the hobby what can be good for it is new viewpoints whether that be a 16-year-old working on her RPG um, in her bedroom that's just going to do something in 2018, 2019 that you and I can't even predict, otherwise we'd have had a go at it. And maybe we can't have a go at it because we are the type of generation that grew up on something different. Or whether it's going to be someone in Mozambique um, who on their laptop right now is generating something that's just going to not even come out in a hardback book in a game shop. It's going to be some other way of getting your game on that's going to be incredible and amazing and everyone will think that it was the the start of something true and new. I don't know what these things are going to be. I just hope that they're happening somewhere. And when you see, when it's still a thing of note to say that a woman has written a role-playing game, I know we haven't done enough as a community because it shouldn't be a thing of note. And the fact that we have to call it out at all is is bollocks. It's, it's 2017, <laughs> it's the end of it, and... Um, we all need to get past that because it's not right. It's just not right, and it never has been right. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably get told off for actually calling it out, which I shouldn't do because it shouldn't be a thing. But there you are. I, I think the, th- <laughs> the, the fact that it's notable 
makes it worth calling out, I think. And it was great to see, for example, we've already mentioned that uh, uh, Lynn Hardy's now an editor as part of the Cash Hunting, so it's good to see you know, a lady getting on board there and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is one of the oldest and grandest organisations that's been around and stuff. But I think we got it as well from talking to the OSR kids, didn't we? We spoke to David Black and yeah. uh, a few of the other guys who were all quite young, like half our age and stuff. And it's interesting that quite a lot of, well, not quite a lot, some of the questions we're asking or comments we were making, they kind of looked at us a bit funny. And I could tell that the baggage that we've got because of where we've come from and the history we've got and how we've travelled through this period of gaming, uh, they mm. just didn't get because they've not seen it and they don't understand why some of the things we were saying would be things. Like, they don't, you know, mm-hmm. we just make our games and we do them the way we want. Like, why wouldn't you? And well, I don't understand that there might be some conflict with that or that there's some kind of agenda or politics or little P or whatever else. So it's interesting that the, a younger generation just seems to be approaching this as, I just want to do some games and do my thing. And they seem, uh, and rightly so, blissfully in a way, there might be some people who have a problem with it or don't like what they're doing or have an issue. Because that doesn't matter to them. And it shouldn't, but... It's interesting that I think possibly we're just, because we've been there from the start in inverted commas, it gives us a certain perspective on things that other people just don't have because they've not had all that baggage. Yeah, yeah. and, and Yeah, that's a good thing, though, isn't it? It's, um, we never got much of a chance to ask him, but I, I saw something uh, a few months ago now from James Radji, who does uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, and he put out a call uh, offering a, a reasonable amount of cash. I think it was $5,000. I don't know. I might be wrong on that. Uh, but it was a reasonable sum of cash to anyone under the age of 21 who would come to him with something he could publish. Um, and he was very explicit about the fact that he thought, and I think there's some mileage in this, that all the best revolutions are never done by the old guys. It's always been stuff like punk um, or stuff like... Um, uh, independent filmmaking or whatever you want to call a revolution in whatever media you like is always undertaken by people in their teenage years who are just angry about the way things are or bored or whatever they want to see a change and they want to be a change and I think he was rightly concerned that our hobby and our industry is is getting old and having kids and there may be more kids picking stuff up but but where are the producers coming from where are the next I can't call them superstars because it's only role playing for goodness sake. But but where are the next big <laughs> names coming from? And you know when you when you think about how old things are and some of the people that we spoke to Dragon Meat who are what we would call young writers, they came into the hobby with D and D third edition. Well, that was seventeen years ago, so it's not that new. Um, I mean, you want to feel really old, you know? Um, Snoop Dogg when he released What's My Name that was nineteen ninety four. And I still think that that was in the charts last week. So yeah. <laughs> my hip hop credentials have never been shakier. Clearly, <laughs> as anyone who knows me will attest. So you know what's happened since two thousand and ten. Where where is the big stuff since then? I I don't follow RPG authors' names as much as I used to because maybe they don't exist. Maybe those big rock and roll star names aren't around so much. Patrick Stewart who we spoke to a dragon meet his stuff is incredible and i think that's only in recent years that that's come about chris mcdonough for into the odd i love his stuff thanks chris that's fairly recent but you know otherwise where are the new guys where are they writing stuff where is it happening um i think people should tell us yeah yeah i, I think the the osr crowd or the you know that's that those kind of people uh, is certainly part of it because you're enabled to just print something that could be quite lightweight and you can get away with publishing it these days a lot easier than you could 10, 20 mm. years ago. Um, but I wonder with some of that as well, whether the popularity is because it comes with the Lamentations banner. Maybe. So you've mentioned like Cthulhu and, you know, stick a tentacle on it and you're going to sell it. I think a lot of stuff does get played because it's Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Whether it's actually anything to do with Lamentations of the Flame Princess or not, or just published by James um, that seems to help something. It seems like a, a sort of like punk brand or something, almost like Brewdog Pubs used to be a couple of years ago. It gives it a certain um, a certain kudos or something like that. I don't know. And then other games like Blades in the mm-hmm. Dark we've mentioned, perhaps they seem to have to create their own fan base and have a, a, a rabid loyal following for that game, and then hacks thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's certainly mm-hmm. like another bunch that sit around the Swedish games and all the, the free Ligon stuff and all that that's coming out. I don't know. So unless you're part of a bannered group, I think you have to create 
it seems like you create your own little cult of stuff. And there may well be games out there mm. that we just haven't heard of or we don't play because we're not tapped into that particular group. And, and there could be thousands of people playing it and loving it, and we just don't, we haven't rubbed up against them yet, so don't know about it, perhaps. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Yeah, maybe we need to update our news feeds because all I ever hear about is reissues of Paranoia. And enough's enough with that. <laughs> so it could be, mate. I mean, most times, you know, we've got to that time of the year where we do a lot of taking stock because people do, don't they? And there'll mm. be other podcasts. Other podcasts are available um, to either of our listeners if they want to try it out once and then come back. Um, I'm sure we'll do lots of end of the year review stuff. And without wanting to sort of preempt what anyone says, usually someone starts moaning about the death of the hobby. Well, as <laughs> much as I might be grumpy about the state of the hobby at some times, for the first time in a while, I don't think the imminent death of the hobby is anywhere nearby. I've never really believed that, to be honest. But mm. I think there have been cases for that argument in the past, and, and that case can't be made right now. I don't think the hobby's been in such a good spot for a very, very long time. And much like TV, it might even be in a bit of a golden age because it isn't dominated by one style of play or just one thing to do. D&D is still there, and D&D is good for everyone. When there's no D&D around, the hobby is not having a great time, frankly. The industry certainly isn't. So put that to one side. There are an awful lot of things out there. There are an awful lot of things coming, even if some of it is rehashed. Clearly, there is still an audience. Is the hobby looking good, in your opinion, Gaz, in, in future years? What will we be saying this time next year? I think it is looking good. I, I know exactly the phenomenon you're talking about. I've just not heard it as much this year. I've, I've not had the usual, or as many of the mm. usual doomsayers saying, like, oh, well, you know, pen and paper's on its way out and, and all that kind of stuff. Although I was trying to do a little bit of research for tonight, just in the lunch hour today, and, and flicked onto the internet, and I couldn't move for role-playing games, meaning computer games. Uh, and so yeah. I was trying to look at, like, you know, what's the hot new thing for 2018? It was lots of stuff for PS4 and when I tried to do a review of top 10 games this year, it was all kind of like what's come out on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. So that there's still like, you know, we're sort of massively outnumbered by computer games companies and other products they bring out. That's always going to be the case. But for the mm-hmm. size of how we've got in the niche, I think it's doing really well. And I think that um, the stuff we've talked about with like videos and I mean podcasts and streaming, that all seems to be feeding into it. And I think that's what we need for the new generation because they get a lot of their content by YouTube, Twitch, all those kind of channels bits of stuff on Twitter and all FaceTube, all those kind of things. I think making it more accessible via technology is what's going to keep it going because people will be more in touch with it. And then if you're running a show and you live cast every week and you get X hundred or a thousand people following you, that's like a really big number compared Mm -hmm. to like, you know, even people who go to some conventions don't have those sort of numbers. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that's going to keep it going. And that helps get other people into it. If you're watching your show and see that 5,000 other people watch that show, that gives you some sense that it's a, it's a real thing. Do you know what I mean? If, if you're watching a cast of someone and they've got five followers, you kind of feel like it's just you and someone who accidentally clicked the button. But when you get hundreds and thousands, then that becomes like a real you know, legitimate thing. And it's, it's probably something that's less to be made fun of than perhaps the hobby was when we played it on the bus on the way to school. If it's mm. a legitimate YouTube channel and people are making money off it, that feels like a real thing as much as playing computer games or other hobbies, I guess. Yeah, I, I think that's right, mate. I think that if you look at something like Critical Role, that's not a cult show because it, it has numbers that would dwarf the majority of Netflix's output mm. in some ways, you know. <laughs> there's enough there's enough TV and, and media now that you can you can be a big star and the music industry is an example of that. I mean, you know, music doesn't sell anything like it used to because you can just steal it, really. Um, you know, and, and 10,000 sales will have you number one. But that doesn't mean it's rubbish. That just means you don't need to have just one way of listening to things, one way of playing things, just one game to do to be a big star and everything else has to be cult. It's not like that at all. There's enough room for, for loads of people. And if you like Critical Role and you like their style and you like their thing, you're part of a big community and you don't have to be a geek to like it you don't have to you're going to buy the t-shirt and stuff anyway because it's perfectly acceptable to wear it down the mainstream pub because why wouldn't you you know that's like wearing a killer's t-shirt that's fine yeah you know rick and morty is a thing 
you can wear that t-shirt and be proud of it and you're not even trying to be ironic when you do it or just trying to <laughs> wave your geek flag to see if you can attract any other geeks in your town <laughs> you know yeah. it, it's it's normal to do that and that's brilliant that's amazing i think it's never been a better time which is why i think that the hobby's in a really good place and i guess what i'm excited about is to see who and how that's going to get leveraged you know what will we think if our hobby really does truly become mainstream as mainstream as for example game of thrones is where you can go into a your local bookshop your mainstream bookshop and get like a diary stamped with a dragon on the front and that's a perfectly acceptable thing to bring to a business meeting you know yes. what happens to our hobby if people are having in your local bookshop every second tuesday of the month they're having a hot war game and they're having to turn people away because it's so popular. What does that world look like, guys? <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't it? Well, I think just generally geek culture is getting there, isn't it? You know, so everybody's, I say everybody, I haven't, but everybody's into JK Rowling's books and that kind of stuff. <laughs> you, you know, people will happily, as an icebreaker now at parties, ask, like, you know, which house are you from? Are you from Gryffindor or whatever? Uh, hmm. and, and that's like an acceptable thing. Whereas, you know, I don't think, I keep saying a few years ago, I'm sounding proper old. But it is that kind of thing that you wouldn't dream of talking about that or Game of Thrones at a dinner party. That's not something you would bring up normally, but it, it mm -hmm. definitely seems to have permeated culture now. Look at how Marvel films are doing in superheroes and that. There's one like every month, isn't there? You can't move for the thing. Yep. So it's definitely the right sort of environment to get more of the people you want. Obviously, sitting around a table with some funny-shaped dice and a pencil and putting on a silly voice, that's an extra step that a lot of people will not and may, may never take. But creating the right societal environment that things are happening around you that don't make it seem as weird to be an elf or an orc mm. or whatever, that all helps, doesn't it? It just gets us that little bit nearer to the, to our gaming nirvana where everybody role plays, because why wouldn't you? It's brilliant. Yeah. It's it's all a big step up from the murder mystery party of the 90s, isn't it? That yeah. was shit. <laughs> <laughs> now you can have people over to actually play D&D &D on a Saturday night. And there might be one or two quizzical looks, but actually it's a really cool social activity for regular people. Yeah, and the other thing, of course, that we mentioned a little bit earlier in the year was the board game cafes. We've got two in Nottingham, two. Mm -hmm. I thought it was madness mm -hmm. that they're going to play, like, and they both came out at roughly the same time they kickstarted and opened sort of thing. I thought, well, that's just crazy. But they packed the rafters. If you want to play a game, yep. you've got to book a couple of weeks in advance. You can't just turn up on the day with your Dungeon Master's Guide on your arm and expect to win a game of D&D. &D. You need to book it. You know, they're, they're packed mm. every day. And that's just amazing. And that's, you know, high street stuff. Mm. Yeah, Obviously absolutely. It's... Um... Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know if this will ever come to pass, but I was uh, a friend of the show and previous guest, Mr. Marvelous Matt Hart, uh, producer of many exciting things like Guild Ball and Dark Souls and more stuff to come. Uh, he and I were talking about the business of role-playing, and, and I wonder if it might be worth getting him back on because he's been looking at the possibility of opening a friendly local game store and quite what that would entail. And I think there was a long time where you would be a fool to try and open a game store. It was almost every gamer's dream at one point or another um, but it would be a very quick way to lose every every penny you had and then end up in debt as well nowadays there may well be a business in it and um, yeah should, should we see if we can get Matt on to talk about that I think that might be interesting for people yeah definitely because last time he was on he said he'd looked at the numbers for a role playing game and it wasn't worth it so I'd be interested mm. to see if it's, he thinks it'll be worth it in a store to stock other people's games even if he hasn't got the you know uh, maybe he's changed his mind maybe he thinks that now he could do a role playing game but I guess for him, it's the he's looking at how much money he can make doing the board game. So why would he do role yeah. games? But um, yeah. yeah, it'd definitely be interesting to get his view on how the world's changed since last time we spoke to him. Yeah, and and I think that there's an acknowledgement that the world has changed and it is now normal for for. I think I said it earlier in the podcast. I'll say it again because I'm still astonished that you can go to a cinema in the United States of America to watch the premiere of people playing D and D. Yeah, I nice. find that. Absolutely bananas, but but also incredibly exciting because you know who wants to be that crusty old git in the corner who says like I liked it when in their early days before they sold out. I think, you know, <laughs> more gamers equals good times, right? I I, I really yeah, do yeah, yeah, want yeah. to be overthrown. <laughs> so come and get us, you youngsters. Come and play your games on our lawn and tell us we're doing <laughs> it wrong, please. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, it's, I don't. One of the things I think about those shows when I watch them, I don't see. Like some of the games don't look that great. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm not going to pick out any particular one or anything like that. But 
I'd much rather be playing the game because that's why I play role-playing games because you get involved and you get to do stuff and give your opinion and say what you want to do. That's what role playing's about. So it amuses me that people want to tune in and watch it all for four hours rather than be involved and get to do something. That seems like crazy, but like if people love it, then fair enough. And I think mm-hmm. it's a sign of the times as well because if you look at gaming forums and even some of the social media platforms, we cried out for ages to get you know engagement, get conversations started, talk about different topics and stuff like that. And rarely do you get much of a response. But, for example, UK Roleplay has thousands of members, like over a thousand active members, because we know the admin and he's told us. But you don't get more than 10 people posting. So there's obviously like a, a much bigger weight of people who are willing to watch and use it as um, something to consume than there are people who want to do the getting involved and doing the bits and pieces and nuts and bolts of doing it, perhaps. And that's maybe where part of the future lies, that we won't have that many more gamers There'll just be a lot more people interested in it and happy to watch or tune in or chuck some comments here and there. Maybe that's that's part of it. Yeah, could be. Well, I guess if we're getting into the realms of predictions and uh, it's getting this close to Christmas, we're only going to get more and more fanciful as we go on. So perhaps it's time, you know, for our loyal listeners um, who've stuck with us through thick and thin, through Patreon's bizarre decisions and not so bizarre decisions thank you very much for holding tight it's been a bumpy ride this last couple of weeks really <laughs> appreciate it guys let's just put it that way you're all you're all legends um listeners reach out to us tell us tell us what you think's coming in in the years to come um we haven't made much in the way of firm predictions but we're thinking the future of the hobby is pretty rosy right now um we're not going anywhere fast anyway so you know stick around and and tell us what's coming so that we can be part of the ride with you yeah, always happy to hear from you guys. And uh, thanks again to all our loyal patrons who give us a lot of cash, which helps with the internet man and pay for hosting costs, all that kind of stuff. There was a little bit of a, a wobble and a furore recently when patrons decided they were going to change their, their pricing method. But it seems the internet and the people, power to us all, changed their minds. And within a week or two, they've, they've reversed the decision and, and sorted all that out. So fear not if you want to chuck a dollar our way. Patrons are behaving themselves again. They've uh, given up on their money-grubbing ways. And made it easier again for us to uh, us to hang out here and you to support us. Okay, right, guys. Um, we'll catch you on the other side of Christmas. Hopefully, not too long after that. So, you know, seasons greetings to you all. I hope Santa brings you that weird little hobby thing that you may have got from a mainstream shop this year. Who knows? We'll see you on the other <laughs> side. Yeah, catch you later, guys, and uh, we'll see you in the new year. You can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums, where we're just about everywhere, or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy!